This morning we're looking at the prophet Jonah again, and we're in chapter 4. As you know, I've been going through each chapter the past uh, few weeks that I've been preaching. And, and, um, and we're looking at his response to God's call to go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim its doom. Yep, proclaim its doom. <laughs> Sounds great, doesn't it? We know what happens, right? Chapter 1, Jonah disobeys God possibly because he was afraid or he thought the message was too harsh or maybe he felt that it was pointless, especially in a city of 120,000 people, at least. And maybe he ran the other way because he just disliked the Ninevites. And which he probably did for cultural and many other reasons there. Didn't like them, okay? And not only was Jonah disobedient, But even after he is thrown overboard in the storm, in that ship that he took to Tarshish, you know, he was wrong way, Jonah, he gets thrown into the ocean and God writes his way by sending a great fish to save him. And Jonah's crying out in that whale. And we can relate to that too. That when we're like Jonah so often in our lives, we disobey God, we go the opposite direction, but God is faithful. We sang about that. He's faithful in his plans in your life. And And he calls out, to that fish to save Jonah in those waters. And then after Jonah calls out in the belly of the whale, or in the mouth of that whale, I say whale, the fish, he calls out, God rescues him, he saves him. And it was a lesson for us that if we call out to God, he will hear us and save us. He will do that when we sincerely call out. And when God rescued him in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 2, actually, the, the fish spits out Jonah onto dry ground. And in chapter 3, God gives Jonah a second chance. It's second chance Jonah now. And even though we have no right to presume on second or third or fourth or fiftieth chances, we can be assured that God is a gracious God. And when He has a plan, He's going to carry out and carry through on His plan and on His word. He's not going to go back on it. When He's called you, He's going to make a way to take you all the way there and do what He wants to with you for His glory. He always will. And so Jonah gets up and he goes to that city and he begins to preach. And what does he say? Forty more days. And Nineveh, you are... That's it. That's His message. And He goes. And we know that in chapter 3 we learned that even though we, when we go away, or if you're far away from God and you don't know God, when you call out to God, when you repent... God will save you. He will spare you every time. Even the Ninevites could be saved. And so if God could save the Ninevites, He can save you. If He could have mercy on them, He has mercy on you. If you repent, just like the Ninevites did, and you confess your sins, and you bow down to the Lordship of Jesus, and you recognize He's the one true Almighty God, He will spare His wrath. He will withhold His calamity, as Jonah said in in this book. And I'll tell you what, God is so gracious, so merciful, and we learn in chapter 3 that when you repent, God responds and He relents. He relents. God will relent when you repent. Amen? And so, praise God, we're in chapter 4, and as we get there, you know, we're looking at chapter 4, and it's, it's, it's interesting because if you read the first three chapters of Jonah, I mean, I find it interesting. It's when you finish chapter three, the story's over. Isn't it? I mean, Jonah obeys the second time he obeys, he sends the word out, and the people repent. God relents and withholds his calamity, and 
Nineveh is spared, and everybody should be happy. It's a big party, and the story's over. The job's done, and God's heart is extended to repentant people, and it's all good. It's over. But no, there's chapter 4. Oh no, there's chapter 4. The story's not over. And, and, and we can, this is the beautiful thing. We can relate. We can fall into each of these chapters and find ourselves there. There's so much application, more than what I've even said, in our lives for each of these chapters, including chapter 4. And if you, if you had to wait for the sequel to the story, after Nineveh repents, what do you expect Jonah's reaction to be? Would he join the people of Nineveh in repentance and marinating God's great grace? So how does Jonah respond? Let's look at the first four verses if you have your Bible. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. That's right. I'm going to read that again. Because it's almost crazy. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is getting crazier by the minute, man. But the Lord replies in verse 4, Have you any right to be angry? That is unbelievable that Jonah's response to God's relenting and just releasing His grace and His mercy upon the Ninevites, he's angry and displeased. He's ticked off at God for being so good to the Ninevites who repented. Pretty pathetic picture, if you ask me. See, here's the thing that we can notice, and a few points, if, we, if I can just point these out. The first thing you have to notice in the way that Jonah responds, number one, is that Jonah is a powder. He pouts about what's going on here. See, this is not the new and improved Jonah who followed every sign that led to Nineveh the last chapter. Instead, this is a reversion of the old man, old school Jonah who ran away from God's will and service. He pouts. He pouts because his reputation is at stake. Do you realize what this means to Jonah? As a prophet, Nineveh is still standing. And now, and now how, how he could be perceived or viewed as a false prophet. Oh, but he's not given up yet. Because there might be some time in that 40-time window, right? His image would be tarnished. And that's all that he really cared about. I could be a false prophet. I mean, I've been called by God. I'm his mouthpiece. And what I said didn't happen. Oh my goodness, how could that be? God, you weren't true to your word. And he's angry and displeased. I thought that this is how it's supposed to be. And he whines. I want you to destroy the city. It's craziness. Jonah knows that he succeeded in his mission, and yet he's disappointed. He knows all along that God is gracious, he's compassionate, and he's slow to anger. And he pouts, not just because God doesn't do what he said he would do, but that God doesn't do what he said he would do, but he pouts also because God shows grace to the undeserving. Isn't that what grace is all about in the first place? Like like Jonah should whine about this. 
Like, I mean, he's the one to pout about how gracious God is to somebody else and to this whole group of people, 120,000 in that city in Nineveh. Jonah is angry, and he can't accept the fact that non-Israelites should be forgiven too. God forbid those pathetic, barbaric, pagan people. And God, you wouldn't drop an A-bomb on them? How could you not, God? He's angry. And yet, look at the reaction. Look at the reaction of the prodigal's brother in the New Testament after his brother, young brother, who left the house, got the inheritance before his dad died, and when he comes back home and comes to a census when he's in the lowest of lows and has nothing, look at the reaction of the older brother in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Do you think, listen, this older brother, do you think... Do you think, seriously, that he didn't hear the sobs of his father coming from his father's room at night for his younger son, crying out to him? And he heard that. And he's hearing his father cry. And when I think about that, I've shared this with some of you in the past. I remember my dad, when he'd get up every morning at 6 o'clock, he'd go in the bathroom. My bedroom was next to my parents' bedroom. And he would get up. And then my mom was there. And I would hear my name. And my my brother, Freddy, and and with the accent. And Freddy, and Tony, and Shelly, and Bobby. Lord, protect them and bless them. Watch over them. And I would hear them pray for me, sobbing, that I would walk in the ways of the Lord. And that God would be gracious and compassionate to me. And what about this older brother? When, his, when, 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 his, when he's hearing his father, at least he must have also seen the pain every so often when dad would go to the door and look out and just hoping and wondering, will my son return? We'll get back to him in a second. Because he was angry, right? He got frustrated. And yet when he hears the news that his errant brother comes home and his father showed him mercy, he was so angry that he wouldn't even go into the house. That's crazy, man. You want to talk about distorting reality and messing with your own head and that that anger just really screwing you up, frankly. His father had to leave the party. He had to leave that party for his son to listen to the older brother complain. This is what he said. And he answered and said to his father, Look, For so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours. I've been so good and faithful. And Jonah could have been saying the same thing to God about wherever he is and the Israelites and we're your people and you chose us and I've been good. Even though I messed up once, yeah, you were gracious. But I'm good now. I I, I sent your word. And so, so God, it's not fair. We're your people. These are terrible people. They're so sinful. There's no way. There's no way they could possibly repent. What about the workers? And Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 shares a parable. Who labored all day in the vineyard. And there are those workers that came. And some came and they agreed to work for a penny, well, a denarius. Let's call it, with inflation, let's call it $1,000 a day. I don't know if that's enough today with inflation. But anyway, sorry. But it's getting that way, right? $1,000 a day. And they agreed, I'm going to work eight hours in your vineyard for $1,000. Let's just use that number. And then there are other that came, and there was a lot of work to be done, and they only worked one hour. They came later in the day, and they get paid $1,000 as well, right? And so what happens, and these, they come, and these, 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 these vineyard workers, they work all day in the yard, and at the end of the day, he called all his workers, and he paid them all the same thing, right? And the workers who worked all day long, they were not inspired at all 
by the landowner's grace. Instead, they said, these last men, they've worked only one hour for crying out loud, and you've made them equal to us. And to us, and we, we've borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day for eight full hours for crying out loud. What are you doing? See, these people and that older brother, they have something in common. They wanted God's grace for themselves, but they weren't too happy to see His grace freely given to others. How does God feel about His children who want to hoard grace? I don't think He feels very good about that. Especially when He has so much to give. See, to the prodigal son, the father replied and he said to him, My child... You have always been with me. He's affirming, that's true. And all that is mine is yours, and you've had it here. But, he said, we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brothers of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and he's now been found. It's all in line and in order. My grace is it's the same for you as him. And now that he's come home, we've got to celebrate because he's living underneath my grace again. And to the early workers in the vineyard, the owner says, but he answered and said to one of them, friend, am I, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a thousand dollars? It says denarius, a thousand dollars. Take what is yours and go your way. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am so generous? Thus, the last shall be first and the first last. And that's Matthew 20. Something really important to note here. Because Jonah is going through this and there's anger that's seething and boiling inside of him. And I don't even know where I got this. And it's, it's not that it's corny, but, you know, but it's the truth. Anger is one letter short of danger. I'm going to say it again. Because I need to hear it too. Anger is one letter short of danger. Listen, when you're full of anger, you will never ever flourish or prosper. I'm telling you right now. You can fake it, but you'll never make it when you're angry. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Anger is one letter short of danger. And when you're angry, everything gets distorted and you start acting in ways and thinking and doing things that are completely detached from reality most oftentimes. And then you miss, in the bigger picture, when we talk about our spiritual journey, you miss the grace of God. You miss the blessing of God. You miss what you have at your, I'll say, disposal, but what is available to you because of God's blessings. And Jonah is angry pouting in an angry manner. Secondly, Jonah, and these go quick. Secondly, Jonah protests God's plan. Now, he's already been doing that with his anger, really, and he's talking to God. But he's protesting. In verse 3, he says, Lord, take my life away, for it's better for me to die than to live. This is, this is verging on sick stuff. I mean, I'm sorry to be so direct, but it is. This is verging on sick stuff. It's better to take my life than for me to live. But the Lord said, you don't have any, do you have any right to be angry for crying out loud? And then verse 5, Jonah went out, and he, he's pouting and mad, and he goes out away from God, and he sits down at a, at a place east of the city. Maybe he's up on a hill looking over the entire city, this huge city. And there he made himself a shelter, 
And he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Oh, God, please send that destruction. Oh, I'm ready for the fireworks show, God. I'm waiting. It's what I want. You know what's crazy? That while he's doing that in verse 6, the Bible says that the Lord God provided a vine and he made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. While he's angry and pouting and frustrated, God is comforting him so he's not all hot, so he can continue to keep pouting and being angry because God wants to get to his heart eventually. And he was very happy about the vine, the Bible says. Verse 6 finishes. See, Jonah was the kind of guy that wanted to be in charge of his own destiny. He hadn't learned to submit. He really hadn't. He actually thought that he could change God's plans. He thought that if he ran to Tarshish, he could stop and shut off the flow of God's grace towards Nineveh. Jonah did not submit to God's plan. Submitting means that you yield to the control and power of God. Oh, he listened and obeyed his words to him to spread the word, but he did not submit to God's plan, the bigger picture, which involved the, the, the putting forth of his word. Do you have a right to be angry, Jonah? You're like a little kid whining and crying over there. God just saved him from death. God just gave him a second chance. So God's like, Jonah, you are not in a position to be someone who's all miffed. He tells God that he would rather die than to see Nineveh live. Again, that's just sick. And did it work? Would God remove his grace from the Ninevites so his prophet would be happy? Oh man, God's grace is so much bigger than some prophet named Jonah. God's grace is so much bigger than some guy named Bob Druda. God's grace is huge. Israel was God's chosen nation. And how could God possibly show grace and favor to Nineveh? Over my dead body will you act favorably, God. I'm the one who's devoted to you. I even obeyed you. I experienced you. It doesn't make sense in my world order, God. You're supposed to be true to your word. So come on, God, bring it down on Nineveh. Jonah wanted grace for himself and Israel, but was unwilling to share it and be happy for those outside of his people who accepted God for who he was, gracious and compassionate. I think of, and I've read the books, and I know the story, and I've been to Times Square Church in New York, but I think of the late David Wilkerson. A lot of you know the name, right? David Wilkerson. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you, that guy said it the way it was. I mean, you know, we can have our little minor theological disputes about this or that, but God used that man mightily as a prophet, as an evangelist, as a pastor. And let me tell you something. You know, was, you know how it all started? In the mid to late 50s, he started going to the city in New York, and he started this guy who's all prim and proper and in shit, you know, just dressed up nice and whatever. And he's going, and he's going to the hardest and harshest areas of the city, and he's reaching out to the gangbangers, man. The gangsters. The drug addicts. The down and out. The pushers. He's right in their neighborhood. And he's going there with the gospel of grace. And saying, listen, you've got to get right or else. There is a God. He's holy. You've got to repent of your sins. He loves you. Turn your life to Him. He can change you. And then, when Nicky Cruz, who was one of the leaders of the Mau Mau's, one of the strongest gangs in New York City, along with his friend Israel, 
When they get saved, there's a whole host of people that come to know Jesus as well. And you know what the outcome of that was? In 1958, Teen Challenge was founded. Who can't say that God hasn't used Teen Challenge? Who can say that thousands of people haven't come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and their Deliverer and, 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 and who have experienced God's grace in an overflowing, abundant way transformationally? like Teen Challenge has been used, all because some guy obeyed God's voice, preached the true word to people who are not like him, and said, you got to get right, and then this gang leader gets saved, and the rest is history. Wow! That's awesome stuff! That, that, that Dave Wilkerson, thank God that he didn't hoard God's grace, and he didn't let fear dictate his life, or he didn't make his own world order of how things should be, and it's got to fit this box, and we try to box God in because of this and the other... Listen, Jonah even does more. He goes outside the city and he makes himself a shelter. I mean, did he really think he could force God to change his mind? And the thing is, he goes outside the city and he gets comfortable. Yep, he sets up a shelter. And on top of that, God gives him a vine. He doesn't... I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, man, I don't have to rub shoulders with those unclean pagan Ninevites. I don't even want to be around them. I already did it. I've been embarrassed. I don't know what's going on. I was scared. I obeyed God. I'm done. Now, God, do your work. He actually hopes for punishment. And while he's hoping all of this, God provides shade from the heat. Oh, man. That's God's grace. Honestly. That even in the midst of your whining and protesting and pouting and anger, God is still covering you. It's God's grace. And Jonah's happy. He's comfortable. He's got front row seats to the show and he's waiting. And in verse 7, but at the dawn of the next day, God now provides a worm. One worm. He provides a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided also a scorching east wind, a shirako. And the wind blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And the Bible said, he said again, it would be better for me to die than to live. Oh no, his comfort's at stake and he's not feeling good. And I just want it over with on top of these people and God being good and not doing what he said. I want them done. See, God has a way of putting him back on track. As much as God gives him and allows all those comforts, the problem is is that those comforts become Jonah's priorities. And that's highlighted by the fact that Jonah is also somebody who has no passion for perishing people. He doesn't just pout about God's plan. He protests God's plan, but now he reveals that he has no passion for perishing people. Verse 9, God says to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. (sighs) All right, control yourself, Bob. Crazy stuff. I'm so angry, I just want to die. And the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. 
But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. And that's a picture that they are spiritually blind. They are lost. They're wandering. They're, they're without. They're, they, they have no sense. They have no perception of anything right. They're lost. They're off, they're off the path. And many cattle as well. Should I not, God asks him, it's a rhetorical question, should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not be concerned about New England? Should I not be concerned about Rhode Island? Should I not be concerned about the Cherryhole School District? Should I not be concerned about Carolina Village? Should I not be concerned about Shannock Village? Should I not be concerned? You can keep going all over. And this is a, it extends to all of that. And God says, I know them. I made them. Shouldn't I be concerned about them? I love them. They're my creation. See, Jonah forgets that God is sovereign. Remember? God was sovereign in creation when he calmed the storm. After he was thrown overboard, he also caused the storm to rise up. God was sovereign over that fish in the sea. It was appointed and God controlled that fish to save Jonah. God is sovereign over that vine that sprang up and then God is sovereign. He brings the worm and then the, the, the shade goes away. And God is sovereign even over Nineveh as he's displayed. He's sovereign over all the other things that Jonah's experienced. Jonah also forgets not only that God is sovereign, but he forgets that salvation belongs to God. Do you remember in chapter 2 when he's praying in the belly of the, the fish? He's calling out. And one of the things he says, one of the key verses in the whole uh, book of Jonah is that salvation belongs to God. He just said that. He prayed that. I'm going to pay my vows to you. I'm going to worship because you rescued me. Thank you because you're grace. Now I want to worship you and serve you. Salvation belongs to you. Uh, does it belong to you just for me or does it belong to you for everyone's salvation. And I, God's got to be chuckling in some weird way, but He's really not. And He forgets that salvation belongs to God. To His own people, Israel, on many occasions historically. To the sailors in that boat who were spared. To Jonah himself and now to Nineveh. Salvation belongs to God. He's forgetting that. Thirdly, He forgets while He has no passion for perishing pe people, He reveals that because He forgets that souls are more important than shade from the sun. This is the greatest sin that you and I commit as Americans, still, even with 50 million percent, it feels like inflation, even with everything going on and, and the disorder and the chaos and in many ways and levels. God's in control, right? We know that. But listen, this is the greatest sin that we commit. We have fallen victim and prayed to our comfort, and as a result, our passion for perishing people has waned. I can't do it, but I have to admit that that's me too. I want to be comfortable. And not really care, not worry. Ah, they got to come into them. God knows. God's in charge. He knows who's going to be saved, who's not. Ah, I don't got to share God's grace with them. Ah, I'm not going to go to my way to serve here or do that or tell other people. And even right next to me, eh, I'm too comfortable. It feels good. We're so comfortable and we still have more than we need and we still keep pursuing and seeking other things for more comfort and more pleasure and our passion wanes for souls. He values comfort more than compassion. He forgets that the Ninevites didn't know better. They're unregenerate. They're unsaved. They don't know the one true God. All they know is idol worship and murder and lying and evil and violence. But they turned to God just like he did in the belly of the whale. 
Maybe he should have watched the show in town, not outside of it. The summary of all of this is this, is that we have a value system that tries to box in God. Where we value image more than heart and character, if we're really honest with ourselves. Where, I know it sounds trivial, but in the world we live in, we value Christian music more than secular music. Oh, God forbid that that would enter my ears. I'll be polluted and corrupted if I have to hear that around people who don't know Jesus. And You just won't go there because you're uncomfortable with that. You know, you don't want to be uncomfortable because you got to be around, not that you seek it out, but because you end up being around people who don't know Jesus. And they're drinkers, they're smokers, they're cussers. It's not your lifestyle as a believer, no. But, but you're, you're so concerned that if that's around you, that's it, it's over. And ah, they're better off on their own. God will take care of them. Oh, no, 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 no. Some of us are, are even so crazy that, sorry for the word, but we, we, we have a value system that box in gods regarding Republicans or Democrats. For crying out loud, give it up, people. They're all pathetic. They're all pathetic. Just give it up. Stop it. Some of you keep doing that. Just stop it. Sorry, I'm telling you as a pastor and as a brother in Christ, stop it. Cut it out. People who don't know God or who are unregenerate and the Holy Spirit is living them, they don't know better. Just like the Ninevites, they're right and left hand. So you know what? Share God's grace with them. It just might be that they repent. Here's what God is saying to Jonah. Your concern is over your beloved plant that shades you. But what what did it really mean to you? And I'm paraphrasing. These are my words. Your attachment to it could not be that deep, that little plant. Because it was around one day and then it was gone the next day. Your concern was dictated by self-interest. Not by genuine love for people. You never had devotion to this plant, this vine, like a gardener does who actually took care of it, saw it grow and then die, and you lament when it dies because you put so much effort into growing it. This is how I feel. This is God. This is how I feel about Nineveh and even more. The people, the animals. I made them, Jonah. I created them, and I cherish them as my creation all these years, and I know what they're like. I know they can't distinguish their right hand from their left. I know they have no semblance at all or anything about holiness or righteousness in their lives. But your pain, Jonah, is nothing compared to mine when I contemplate their destruction. It's crazy. What's your Nineveh? Where is your Nineveh? What is your vine? You know, that thing that gives you comfort, but yet all along it keeps you from having God's heart and attitude towards those who don't know Him. Do you love to hoard God's grace? Here's the honest conclusion of the matter in Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. I'm sorry. 
But it is the truth. Don't be a Jonah. Don't be a pouting prophet who protests God's passion for perishing people while seeking his personal pleasure. Don't be a Jonah. And I'll read it again just for Corey. Don't be a pouting prophet who protests God's passion for perishing people while seeking personal pleasure. It's a great tongue twister. If you memorize it, you won't be like Jonah and you'll be like the first church who's spreading the gospel and turning the world upside down with God's grace and gospel of truth. Don't be a Jonah. Lord, thank you for this word this morning. Lord, in some ways it's it's hard to say thank you for that word. Lord, I thank you that uh, all of Scripture is inspired and it's profitable for us so that we could be taught and we could grow and we can, Lord Jesus, um, Lord, be uh, the people you want us to be so we fully mature and grow so that our effectiveness increases in spreading the gospel and sharing your grace and, Lord, resisting the temptation to be grace hoarders. Lord, teach us from Jonah, Lord, to, uh, to share your gospel and to not hold it back. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Share God's grace everywhere you go. Amen.